0: But this is in Brooklyn? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was on Kings Highway mm-hmm. and East Twenty Eighth Street or East Thirty Second Street, somewhere in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Good, good. Very
0: big, very big yeshiva. It was like eight stories tall. It's a very big yeshiva.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff on Zoom. I mean, what am I saying? A lot of Maimonides stuff in Brooklyn. There's Maimonides Hospital, of course, Maimonides. Right a whole bunch of my mommy stuff there. Let me uh, right. speak to technical, make sure it's being shared. Just one just second, share my second. Okay. okay. There's a lot of stuff going on. Okay, let me admit. Oh, we lost someone in uh, the classroom over here. Um, everybody leave. Are we still live on Facebook? What's going on over here? Having trouble playing this video. Let me just see that this is playing on Facebook. Um, okay, I do see myself. Okay, so I think we're good. We are live on Facebook. So, It's good to see you here this evening. I hope you can hear me. Put your thumbs up if you can. Okay, good. All right, so today we're gonna discuss Maimonides as we were discussing a moment ago. Uh, Someone here went to school in Brooklyn, Maimonides School in Brooklyn. And uh, for those people who know, uh, Maimonides is a pretty popular name. Um, However, there's also a lot of people who don't know much about Maimonides. And uh, so today we're going to endeavor to get a better appreciation for who Maimonides is, and um, hopefully when we're done today, you will be better versed and um, know a little bit more. So I'm first going to start over here by sharing my screen, because we have a slideshow to go along with everything today. We have a slideshow, we have videos, we're high tech today, so um, it's going to be good uh, so today's discussion revolves around Maimonides, the man, the myth, and the magnum opus. I'm not sure what the myth part is. Uh, maybe the myth part is actually the picture. There's a l- large discussion if that picture is real or not. One second, let me also get uh, Facebook comments over here going. Don't know much about Maimonides. I don't want to hear myself twice. Um, yeah, the picture, not, We're not. it's not necessarily the real actual picture. However, um, we, that's, there's a lot of debate whether it's the real picture or not, but we show it because that's what we think it is. Anyways, that being said, I'm going to go over here, and I'm first going to start off with a couple questions on Zoom. And um, I think I actually have to stop sharing that screen. You know, I'll get to the questions in a second. So um, we were actually in Israel a couple months ago. And we went to go visit Maimonides' grave in Tiberias. It's a great city on the water over there. And um, out there on the water, um, there's near the water, there's this, this very ancient cemetery. Some of the oldest sages of the Jewish people are buried there. And one of those is buried there is Maimonides. Now, he actually, when he passed away, he was living in Egypt, but he was buried in, in Israel, in Tiberias. And on his headstone, it says some amazing words. It says, Mimosha lo From Mos- from Moshe, which is the first Moshe benu Moses, until the second Moshe, which is Maimonides, there was nobody like Moshe. Now that's a big statement to say, to say there was nobody like Moses until Maimonides, which is a, a very long time, is quite a big statement. And that's a testament to who he is. And uh, when you think about it, and I'll share my screen again, When you think about it, um, you know, he is... um, Let's take a look at him. Let's take a look at a little bit of history. He was born in 1135. So the Torah was given over 3,000 years ago. And so he lived over 2,000 years afterwards, but nevertheless, we say from Moshe until this man, there was nobody like Moshe. He passed away in uh, the year 1204 in Cairo. So... Uh, let's take a look. This is what it says in his grave uh, in Tiberius. Uh, from Moshe until Moshe, no one arose like Moshe. Now here we have just a couple examples of things that are named after him. You have a couple Maimonides day schools that are named after uh, Maimonides, of course. Uh, we also have... Um, I need, I need more screens. I only have two screens. It would make it easier if I had three screens over here. And I can see Zoom and Facebook and my share screen. Maimonides Hospital, there's a couple of them. There's of course one in Brooklyn, there's uh, in Haifa, and I believe there are others in the world. We also have Maimonides is on stamps and currencies. This is in Israel, the 1000 shekel, and here are some stamps of Maimonides. And so all in all, he's a very, very um, well-respected and very, very famous person. But a lot of people don't know a lot of his history. They just know his name is Maimonides or that he was a doctor. A lot of people know that he's a doctor, which is why a lot of the um, hospitals are called after his name. But he has a very, very fascinating history. And um, before we get into that history, I want to load a poll over here. And if you're on Facebook, I want you to answer these questions. And um, let me just launch this poll over here. And the poll is going to be Uh, what do you know about Maimonides? So there's going to be a couple questions. Um, So if you're on Facebook, um, we're just going to show you over here. Here are the questions. Um, If you're on Facebook, take a look at the questions, post in the comments. Did you ever have a chance to read or study any part of the following of Maimonides' works? Um, So the So that's the question. Do you have a chance to read or study any part of the following works? And that would be uh, Mishnah Torah, his code of law. Have you ever had a chance to read his Guide to the Perplexed? You can select multiple. So again, his Guide to the Perplexed, his book of mitzvahs, commentary on the Mishnah, letters or his medical writings. If you're on Facebook, again, you can leave a comment. Uh, Let me know if you've seen, read any of these books of Maimonides. So again, Maimonides is a very famous person, but have we actually read any of these things. Um, second question is: Which of the again, if you're on, if you're on Facebook, just reply. Which of the following words come to mind when you first hear the name Maimonides? Do you think of law, philosophy, reason, medicine, mitzvot, Talmud, or faith? Again, these are things to think about. And finally, um, he's known as Maimonides. Why was? Is it because he was from the Moroccan city of Maimon? his father was Maimon, Maimonides is Greek for the great one, or is it because he authored a work of Talmud by that name? And I'll tell you the answer to the last one, which is his father was Maimon. So we're gonna see a little bit about his history and um, let me Uh, just um, start this video over here. So we're gonna watch a nice little video over here about the history of Maimonides. And um, it's only six minutes. It'll give you a good background of understanding um, you know, I'm gonna close the PowerPoint because I think the video is better. On um, oh, that's not the right video. Um, it's a little bit clearer. Okay, whatever. I'll share it in the PowerPoint. It'll be a little bit small if you're watching on Facebook, but it'll still do.
0: In the spring of 1138. Jews in the southern.
1: Sorry,
0: just raising the volume. Southern Spanish city of Cordoba were preparing for Passover. The festival of deliverance. But the household of the esteemed rabbinical judge of Cordoba, Rabbi Maimon, was celebrating a delivery of another kind. Just one day shy of Passover, the rabbi and his
1: wife. Sorry, it's just not Streaming so well. I'm just gonna open it up on YouTube so you can see it better. Just one second. Let's uh paste in YouTube. <laughs> ah, that's not where I wanted to go. Oh there, okay.
0: In the spring of 1138, Jews in the southern Spanish city of Cordoba were preparing for Passover, the festival of deliverance. But the household of the esteemed rabbinical judge of Cordoba, Rabbi Maimon was celebrating a delivery of another kind. Just one day shy of Passover, the rabbi and his wife welcomed their eldest son, whom they named Moshe, Hebrew for Moses. Little did the rabbi know that he was destined to gain eternal fame through Moshe, for his brilliant child grew into the universally acclaimed scholar known as Moses Maimonides, or Moshe, the son of Maimon. It was a trying time for the Jews of Spain The Almohads, a fanatical Islamic movement bent on establishing a caliphate, were gradually overrunning the Iberian Peninsula. Countless Jews were murdered. Others were forced to convert, while many families fled Spain. Maimonides was 10 years of age when his family was forced to flee. They settled in Fez, Morocco, where his brilliant father shaped him into a Talmudic scholar of repute.
2: He also mastered what we call Chochmah, which is the universal wisdom of humankind. He knew the works of Aristotle and Plato and their Islamic
0: interpreters and so on. Maimonides also became an expert in astronomy and medicine. In 1165, the family journeyed to the land of Israel, but unable to settle, they continued to the large Jewish community of Cairo, where Maimonides married and settled down he then devoted a complete decade, approximately from 1168 to 1177, to producing his crowning literary achievement, the Mishnah Torah.
2: He was an Ish Halacha. He was the greatest rabbi of the Middle Ages. He wrote the greatest law code in all of Jewish history, the Mishnah Torah. He was an absolutely outstanding master halakhist.
0: For the first time since God gave the Torah at Sinai, the entire body of Jewish law would be codified in a systemic, clear, and concise fashion. The 14-volume masterpiece created a powerful impression across the Jewish world. Then, in 1177, tragedy struck. Maimonides' brother David drowned when his ship, fully laden with merchandise, sunk in the Indian Ocean. The brothers had shared a deep bond and Maimonides grieved terribly for years. David had also been Maimonides' business partner and this calamity meant financial ruination for Maimonides, who was now forced to become a doctor. His expertise soon caught the attention of the Egyptian ruler, Sultan Saladin, who appointed Maimonides to the position of royal physician Maimonides also served as the leader of Egyptian Jewry. He juggled his time between his royal duties, treating private patients, serving as a statesman for the Jewish community, teaching Torah, and discussing medicine, philosophy, and science with his non-Jewish audiences. Maimonides described his schedule in a letter to a dear student, Rabbi Samuel Ibn Taban of Provence.
2: I live in Fostat, and the Sultan lives in Cairo. I must see him every morning to check on his health. As a rule I am in Cairo early each day and even if nothing unusual happens, by the time I get back to Fostat, half the day is gone. When I come home, my foyer is always full of people, Jews and non-Jews, important people and not, judges and policemen, I apologize and ask that they should be kind enough to give me a few minutes to eat. That is the only meal I take in 24 hours. Patients go in and out until nightfall. And sometimes, I swear to you by the Torah, it is two hours into the night before they are all gone. I talk to them and prescribe for them, even while lying down on my back from exhaustion. On Shabbat, the whole congregation, or at least the majority of it, comes to my house after morning services and I instruct the members of the community as to what they should do during the entire week. We learn together in a week fashion until the afternoon. This is my schedule. His quill
0: hardly saw any rest either. Jewish communities from distant lands sought his advice and rulings on Jewish law and Maimonides felt compelled to pen yet another literary masterpiece to forestall a developing crisis in Jewish faith. Many Jewish scholars in the Arabic lands had been swept up in the newfound Islamic obsession with Greek philosophy. This left some Jewish scholars deeply disturbed by the apparent intellectual contradictions between contemporary Greco-Islamic philosophy and various precepts of the Torah. In 1191, Maimonides published a treatise that thoroughly addressed these issues from a philosophical standpoint under the title Guide for the Perplexed. When Maimonides passed away in 1204, the entire Jewish world mourned his passing. An epitaph without historical parallel was carved into his gravestone, proclaiming that since the days of Moses, No Jewish leader's achievements had rivaled that of Moses Maimonides.
1: Sorry, you couldn't hear me. All right, now you can hear me. So uh, most people in, on Facebook seem to say that the uh, b- what they've read the most is Maimonides' 13 Principles of Faith. But as we said, he had many, many others. The first one that he authored was The Guide to the Perplexed. The Guide to the Perplexed is the first um, uh, book that he wrote. And he actually wrote it in Arabic. And he wrote it around the age 30 and uh, this is what it looks like over there. I have it, of course, over here in Hebrew. Um, But it was originally written in Arabic. In fact, most of his books were written in Arabic. However, uh, wait, so let's go through a few of the other books over here. We also have Maimonides' commentary on the Mishnah. We'll get to an explanation soon what the Mishnah is. Hopefully, you know what the Mishnah is, but if you don't, we'll get to it soon. But regardless, He wrote a commentary on the Mishnah. It's the most famous and seminal book of the oral tradition. And uh, his commentary on the Mishnah is very, very famous, particularly his introduction. His introduction, he goes through a lot of deep and important philosophical things. Um, Then, of course, he wrote the Mishnah Torah. The Mishnah Torah means the second Torah. And um, this is mostly what we're going to discuss today. So again, um, we have discussed a little bit of his history. In the video, you saw a little bit of his history, but we're not going to spend the whole class today on his history. I mean, his history, uh, if you really want a a video, if you want a nice video that can get you um, a little bit, maybe more in history, if you go on Amazon, if you have Amazon Prime, if you go, if you search uh, Rambam, there's a video, it's kind of cartoonish. It was done uh, many years ago, but it's pretty good. It was done by uh, the famous, a Jewish historian barrel wine. And um, in there, he has a video in which uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy actually is the voice of Rambam, Leonard Nimoy, famous, famously known as Spock. And um, so uh, if you want to watch that video, it gives you a little bit more of his history. But again, today we're mostly we've kind of mostly covered the basis of his history that we wanted to. And now we're getting to the second part of the book. We said the man, the myth. Again, I'm not sure what the part of the myth is, but his magnum opus. We're going to discuss, for the most part today, Maimonides' powerful and most famous uh, book. And um, that book is known as Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah means the second Torah. Now, um, well, it could mean the second Torah. There's actually two ways of looking at what it means. So we're going to discuss today why did he write it, why did he feel the need to write it, and um, why it was so important to him that he wrote this book. So I'm going to just show you um, over here, share on you the screen. I'm going to share with you a couple of texts uh, that Maimonides wrote. Um, so you'll get an idea from him. He explains the reason why he wrote it. Let's take a look over here. Um, I don't know why these slides go. Okay, so just a little bit basic history. The Mission towards magnum opus, it took him 10 years to author it. It is 14 volumes long, so it's very, very big. Magnum opus, for those who don't know, magnum opus is like your main book, you know, the one that you're known for. The work was completed around the year 1180. And the Mishnah Torah was the only one of his books that's written in Hebrew, because it's a book of law. All the rest were written in Aramaic for people around him, Arabic for the people around him to understand. So let's read what Maimonides himself writes. This is what Maimonides writes. Why did he write this book? Why did he make a 14-volume book? If you saw a schedule, you know he was very busy. What exactly was bothering him in Jewish scholarship till that day that he had to write this? And by the way, we're we're discovering this book because I will tell you. If not for this monumental book, he would not be as famous as he is. And I know he was a great doctor and whatnot. His name would not be in all these places if not for this book, because this book revolutionized Jewish scholarship, thought, and the way we study everything. And he's gonna explain over here why he wrote the book. So hopefully you can read it. Text number one, it says like this, the mitzvot given to Moses at Mount Sinai were all given together with their explanations. Moses, our teacher, personally transcribed the entire Torah before he died. So I just want to stop over here. Okay, one second. He did not, however, transcribe the explanation of the Torah. Instead, he commanded it verbally to the elders, to Joshua, and to the totality of Israel, as it says Be careful to observe everything that I prescribe to you. For this reason, is called the oral Torah. So he's laying down something basic that you may or may not know. Um, the Torah, as we have it, at, if you look at the Torah, you will not understand most of what it says in there. Or if you understand it, it will be very convoluted. For example, everybody today knows that there's a mitzvah of tefillin, right? And we all know that it's black boxes with the straps and it has parchments inside of it. But what does it actually say in the Torah? The only thing it actually says in the Torah is you shall bind them as a sign upon your arm and they shall be for a reminder between your eyes. Well... What is what, what exactly am I putting on my arm? What exactly is on my eyes, in between my eyes? Similarly, the mezuzah. What does it actually say in the Torah? And you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. So I should write it upon the doorposts of my house. So first of all, do I put it on both doorposts, both sides, or just one side? And when I say, you shall write them, what am I writing? And on what type of what type of paper am I writing it on? And where on the door should I put it? These are all very good questions that we would not know. And it would be silly for us to believe that God gave us these commandments without explaining it to us. The, the commandments that are, as they are written in the, in the Torah, the written Torah that Moses gave us are very vague. So, and we know from our tradition that no, of course, God gave it with the explanation of what it means, but it was given verbally or oral as we say, and it was not allowed to be written down for numerous reasons, which is beyond the scope of this discussion today. But originally, the oral tradition, which is the explanations of everything that's in the Torah, was not allowed to be written. Okay? So, in short, we have the oral law, that is the explanations of the mitzvot given by God there is also another subset of the oral law which I did not mention and that is that uh, within the oral law there's also interpretation so when God gave Moshe the Torah if he were to tell him every single possible case that there could be it would be a little it would be a lot a lot of information to pass down and so we were also given laws by which we can understand the Torah principles principles by which we can interpret the Torah and uh, that's that's the oral law. Oral law is either things that were given clearly to Moses exactly how to do it, or principles by which we can understand the Torah. Those are uh, the 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 two sections of the oral tradition. All right, but eventually, eventually the problem became that, um, you know people could not um, handle remembering the oral tradition. And we're going to show a video right now why. Why was the oral tradition finally written down? So again, we've mentioned that there was an oral tradition and that this oral tradition was oral. And I said for reasons we cannot get to today. But eventually at a certain point, they wrote it down. And here we're going to see the reason why it was written down.
0: The five books of Moses, known as the written Torah, was accompanied by an oral tradition passed down from teacher to pupil for over a thousand years. During this time, these ideas were not formally committed to writing, and in fact, it was prohibited to do so. The intention was for students to learn directly from teachers and to accept personal responsibility for preserving the teachings for the next generation. Yet toward the end of the 2nd century, the Oral Torah was recorded in a book known as the Mishnah. Why did this happen? And who had the audacity to change the status quo? Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was head of the Sanhedrin. His piety, Torah scholarship and wisdom earned him the name Rabbeinu HaKaddish, our holy teacher, It was he who made the momentous decision to record the oral law. The situation of the Jews was precarious. The might of the Roman Empire had spread its tentacles and ruled over the Jewish people in Israel. Around a 100 years previously, the Romans had destroyed the Second Temple. Countless Jews were killed, forced into exile, and sold into slavery. Similar atrocities occurred a few decades later, when the Romans crushed the Bar Kokhba rebellion. At certain points, the study of Torah was forbidden on pain of death, religious practices were banned, and Torah sages were murdered. An oral method of transmission has advantages, but it can only flourish when people are living together in peace with a strong presence of scholars and teachers. However, under the circumstances of oppression and dispersion that existed at the time, an oral means of transmission was not advantageous, as it jeopardized the accurate preservation of these treasured teachings. Considering these realities, Rabbi Yeheda made the bold decision to record the oral Torah. Indeed, over the next 2,000 years, the Jewish people often experienced great suffering dispersions and weakening of scholarship. Were it not for Rabbi Yehada's revolutionary vision in writing down the Mishnah, many sacred teachings and practices would have been lost forever.
1: So in short, as you can see, the reason why it was written down was just out of necessity. Um, There had to be, it had to be written down and there was, there was no other choice. Um, But like everything else, you know, whenever you write something down, uh, there will always be other problems. (laughs) And so that's what we're going to get to now. Um, so, what we've learned till now, we haven't yet gone, gotten to Maimonides. This is Maimonides' introduction. He says, Originally, oral Torah, oral, the oral explanation of the Torah was not written down for various reasons, which it gave you a little bit of the explanation over there. For some reason, the rabbis depicted in that video looked very angry. You should know rabbis aren't so angry. Um, and then eventually, it was written down in what was known as the Mishnah. So that's why I said earlier, the Mishnah. So the Mishnah is the first time the oral tradition was written down put to paper. But it was still very, very concise. And so eventually, a couple hundred years later, the explanations of the Mishnah were written down in a book called the Talmud. So let's take a look over here. Gotta skip this video over here. Okay, so let me share with you my screen again. um all right so here we have the history behind the talmud and this is still again maimonides is in his introduction he's leading you on to what he what his purpose and what he did was so again Rav ashi composed the babylonian talmud in babylonia which today is iraq approximately 100 years after rabbi yochanan composed the jerusalem talmud the intent of both is to elucidate the words of the mishnah to explain its Deeper points and to relate the new teachings that were developed by each court from the era of Rabbi Yehuda until the composition of the Talmud. So, sounds good till now. So, Moses gave us the Torah, he gave us the oral tradition, which was eventually written down in the Mishnah and then explained more in the Talmud. So, now we're good. So, if I want to know what I need to do, life is good. I read the Torah, I read the Talmud, read the Mishnah, read the Talmud, now I know what to do, right? problem is anybody here ever tried reading the Talmud? It's not so easy. And that's the next point over here. And as he says, again, Maimonides writes, the Talmud style is quite complex, and it's composed in Aramaic with a mixture of other languages. This language was understood at the time by the people living in Babylonia. In other places, however, and even in Babylonia itself today, this language is not comprehensible unless one has studied it. There are only a select few who comprehend the Jerusalem of Babylonia, Talmud, and other works of Midrash. They require a breadth of knowledge, of spirit of wisdom, and much time in order to truly learn from them the many laws of the Torah. So you're already seeing a problem. What's the problem? God gave us the Torah. If he gives us the Torah, that means he expects us to keep it. Now, how does he expect us to keep it? Well, he gave us the Torah and the explanation of what it's supposed to mean. Originally, no big deal there was a lot of scholarship, everybody knew what to do, and life was good. Eventually people started to forget they wrote the Mishnah. Great, but even the Mishnah, which was so concise, was subject to debate. So then they had the Talmud. The problem is even the Talmud, as we're reading, is complex itself. So now if you want to know what to do, and um, you want to know a lot in kosher, are you now going to find it in one of the First of all, how likely are you to find it where it is in the, in, of the 45 books of Talmud that we have? And within those books, which page you're going to find it on? And once you find the page, can you read it? It's, it became a problem. And this is, he's talking about 800 years ago. So he decided he's going to do something about it. And this is what he writes. Therefore, with a deep trust in God, I girded my loins. I, Moses, the son of Maimon, which' called Maimonides, by the name of Spain. I contemplated all these texts and sought to compose a work that would summarize their conclusions regarding all matters of Torah law in a clear and concise term. In this way, the entire oral law could be organized for everyone without complication to those of lesser stature and those of greater stature. So you're already seeing a little bit of the greatness of Maimonides. No one, yet no one had ever thought to do this. Everyone who had written books till that point was scholarship, books of scholarship. There were even rabbis who had written their decisions of what is the law based on the Talmud. But even then, when they did it, what they did was they didn't organize it in an orderly fashion. They took the Talmud, which is not well organized, and on each page, they would say, This is the law that we learned from this page. This is the law we learned from that page. This is the law we learned from that page. So, still, if you wanted to know a law, you had to read a lot a lot of pages and even then it was still in scholarly terms maimonides was so to speak the first one to take it and organize it and say let's say you want to know the laws of shabbat well now you know you open up this book you go to the section of shabbat and within shabbat there's chapters which discuss different sections of the laws of shabbat right shabbat you could be discussing cooking you could be discussing carrying there's all different laws that's organized to the point where a simple person, where simple people or shall we say, not, you know, scholarly to the level of Maimonides could read it. And he ends off and he says, therefore, I have called this text Mishnah Torah, meaning second to the Torah, for a person who could study the written Torah and then this text and thereby comprehend the entire Torah without having studied any other text. And this became his magnum opus, his most famous book, the Mishnah Torah, a volume of 14 books in which he discusses and goes through every single Jewish law that is out there. And he was the first one to put it in an organized fashion. After him, there came others based on his work and also wrote organized Jewish law. But he was the first one to write a, in an organized fashion Jewish law and hopefully you're already starting to appreciate uh, what was so special about his writing. Now just to digress a little bit uh, he wrote this in, in it was published for the first time in the year 1180 um, Now back in those days there was no printing press everything was hand copied. So here you can see what's known as the Huntington version of the Rambam, and this is in the Oxford Library in England. I'm going to explain to you what is so uh, important about this document. When you copy, when you hand copy something, there's always going to be mistakes, and that's especially problematic in a book of law, and um, this is just another, you know, version, hand copy version of Maimonides. So, uh, so again, this is the Huntington version, which we're going to get to in a moment, um, otherwise known as the Kaufman version, and this manuscript was written in—no, uh, this is not the Kaufman. this is the Huntington one, right? This manuscript was written, what's unique about this manuscript, it, w- it was written during Maimonides' lifetime, and the one who copied Maimonides' original, he came to Maimonides and said, can you look over this copy and make sure it's accurate, and Maimonides went through the whole thing, and he— edited it and he signs off at the bottom as you can see here uh, signed by me Moshe ben Maimon and uh, this document was passed on from generation to generation so again this would be the most authoritative text of Maimonides books and at one point there was a famous person called Elazar the son of Prachya he owned it but he also said that he, he didn't want it to remain in personal possession. He decided he wanted it to become available for all the people. And therefore he gave it to the court in that day. Uh, So he gave it to the court in his city. And so anybody who would want to figure out the the correct version of Maimonides, they would go and find that book. And in fact, we find in the history that uh, in the year 1500, there was a famous rabbi who said he, he traveled to find an original copy of Maimonides, and uh, with that, he was able to um, get a a proper copy of Maimonides. Maimonides' book, well, just one more thing about uh, that original, the, the Huntington version. It was brought to the library in Oxford by a man called Robert Huntington. In the year 1670, he lived in Aleppo, he visited the Holy Land, and Egypt, and he must have bought the manuscripts from someone, and he brought it to Oxford University. What's interesting is this person started in Aleppo. For those who know, there's something called Codex Aleppo. Codex Aleppo is the oldest manuscript we have of the Chumash, the five books of Moses. Again, the Torah doesn't have any, um, any nekudot, any vowels in it. So the oldest Chumash, which has vowels in it, is was, also, was called Codex Aleppo, it was in the city of Aleppo. It was smuggled out uh, I think 50 years ago, to Israel. Either way, so um, this was brought into the University of Oxford. Unfortunately, today, we only have the first two volumes of the 14. That's all that's left there. Um, eventually, Maimonides' book was printed in the year 1490 by Gershom Sonsino. If anybody here has ever seen the Sonsino Chumash or Sancino Talmud, very, very famous uh, printing press. If you want, by the way, you can buy a page of this, going right now online. It's on, it's on auction for uh, just a small price of $200,000. Get the original first print of Maimonides' book. So that is all about uh, Maimonides' magnum opus the Rambam. Now we're not done. Um, there's a, a big snag, a big problem you get to when you're going to write a book which is going to go through all 613 commandments. And that is that um, how many mitzvahs are there in the Torah, right? Everybody here is going to say 613. We'll get to a moment. It's not so simple. Um, there are 630 commandments in the Torah. And Maimonides, if he's writing all about the 630 mitzvahs, he's going to have to go through all the commandments. So let me show you what's not so simple about the 630 commandments. Let's read over here. What is the source to begin with that we have 613 commandments? So um, this is from the Talmud. The Talmud says, Rabbi Simlai taught. There were 613 mitzvot stated to Moses consisting of 365 prohibitions corresponding to the number of days in the solar year. And 248 positive mitzvahs corresponding to the number of man's limbs. So, if you ever want to remember how many positive, you just remember how many limbs you have in your body. You want to remember negative, remember how many days in the year. All right. So, how do we get to 613? Oh, okay. So, there it shows you. Oh, that's no, okay. 248 limbs. All right. So, how so where do we know from the Torah that it says there's 613? So, Rabbah said, What is the verse that alludes to this? It is written, Moshe commanded to us the Torah on inheritance of the congregation of Jacob, the word Torah in its numerical value, gematria, is 611, right? Tuf is 400, Vav is 6, Reish is 200, and He is 5, 611. Two commandments we heard directly from God at Sinai and the remaining 611 were taught us by Moshe, equaling 613. There you have the numerical value, and uh, altogether we get 611 plus the two that were taught us by God. So we know, and everybody agrees in this, and all Jewish scholars agree, that there's 613 commandments. However, the problem is, what is considered and what is not considered a commandment? I would bet you, if I were to give you a, um, the, the Torah, and I tell you, sit down, go through the whole Torah, and write for me what are the 613 commandments, first of all, you may not get the 613. And even if you do, your number and my counting would be totally different. Now, why is that? So I'll give you a couple examples. So first of all, for example, over here Here's what's written in the Torah in the book of Numbers. The children of Israel shall encamp each man by his division with the flag staffs of their father's house some distance from the tent of the meeting they shall encamp. This is a commandment. God told them where they should camp. Now, is this a mitzvah? Is it counted to 613 or not? On one hand, you say it's a mitzvah. It's a commandment by God. On the other hand, you could say, well, it was only for a certain period in history. It wasn't for all time. Well, if it's not for all time, then what about mitzvahs that aren't for all people? Are those are those mitzvahs? Let's say a mitzvah that's only for a priest. Could that be considered a mitzvah? You know, if a mitzvah is not for all time, who said a mitzvah that's not for all people is a mitzvah? Here's another example. Speak to the children. Speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, "You shall be holy." Um, So, is you shall be holy, do you think that's a mitzvah or not a mitzvah? You could say, well, it says you should be holy, that's a mitzvah. On the other hand, you could say it's a very general statement. There's no specific command here. You shall be holy. Well, how? Well, there's a lot of different things. You do mitzvahs, there's debate amongst the commentaries. Is you shall be holy, is it a mitzvah or not? Because it may be too general. Maimonides himself holds that it's not a mitzvah. Um, let's take a look at another one. Here there's a commandment. He shall bring his offering to God for his sin which he committed, a female animal from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. But if he cannot afford a sheep, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young doves. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two young doves, then he shall bring fine flour for sin offering. So again over here, I'll ask you a different question. So this is obviously a mitzvah. It's a commandment. To bring an offering if you've done a sin, But is this one mitzvah? Or is it three mitzvahs? Because it says, if you can afford more, you bring this. If you can afford this, you bring this. And if you can afford even less, you bring this. Is it considered one mitzvah? Or is it considered three mitzvahs? We have the same question when it comes to here. You shall take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Place them in two stacks. Six on each table upon the pure table. So, is this one general mitzvah? Or is taking the fine flour mitzvah, is baking in a mitzvah, and is placing them on the two stacks of mitzvah. Is it one, or is it three? Another one, the mitzvah of Lulav and Etrog, which is the commandment over here. We have to take the four species. Is it one mitzvah, or is it four? So therefore, before Maimonides set out to write this, he had to write another book, which is called Sefer HaMitzvos. The Sefer HaMitzvos, is where he defines what are the 613 commandments, and basically he came up with certain principles by which he dis, by which he said if we follow these principles, we can understand what is and what is not a mitzvah. Um, for example, Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur all has a couple mitzvot. Is it one mitzvah of Yom Kippur, or are all the separate mitzvot of Yom Kippur are separate? So he came up with certain determinations. How do we know what is a mitzvah? And this book was known as the Sefer HaMitzvot, the Book of Mitzvahs. And when he came to his magnum opus, the Rambam, before every section, he would start every section. You can see this surrounded here in the yellow. Before every section, he would say, in this section, we're going to discuss these laws, uh, Shvisas Asar, this is referring to the laws of Yom Kippur. And in the laws of Yom Kippur, there are four mitzvahs, two positive and two negative, and these are them. A, to not do any work. B, sorry. B, positive mitzvah, you should rest from work. Negative mitzvah, thou shalt not work. Three, positive mitzvah, thou shalt fast. Four, negative negative commandment, thou shalt not eat or drink. So here you have four commandments. They're polar opposites, but based on his understanding of how the Torah was written, there's both a positive and a negative. Uh, so there are four commandments as it comes to Yom Kippur. Um, let me go back a second. Now, as an aside, you might ask, what difference does it make? What Ultimately, what difference does it make? If uh, it's considered a mitzvah or it's not considered a mitzvah, if it's four mitzvahs or two mitzvahs, God wants us to do it, regardless if it's technically one of the 613 commandments. So, for the most part, it doesn't make a difference, but there there are a few things that uh, will... that it is a difference if it is considered a mitzvah or not. So, for example, when the Torah says when you go up to war, you should not be afraid. Is that a mitzvah? Or it's good advice. You know what I mean? And uh, if it's not a mitzvah, then you can't be punished for not doing it. That's that's one simple difference. Um, another one, for example, it says that if someone uh, kills like semi-inadvertently, they have to go to the city of refuge, and if they don't go to the city of refuge, the relative of the one who was killed can kill the killer. Now, the question is, is that a mitzvah? Does that mean the relative has to kill the killer, unless he's in the city of refuge, or does it mean he's allowed to do it? It's something he could do. Um, or for example, there's questions, certain commandments. Are they biblical or are they rabbinic? And there's differences, differences of something's biblical or rabbinic. Uh, another great example of a debate is actually, is living in the land of Israel. Is that a mitzvah, is that a biblical mitzvah, or is it just a very nice thing, a very good thing? So there are differences, Maimonides himself holds, by the way, living in Israel is not a mitzvah. If you live in Israel, you're not supposed to leave unless you have a good reason to, but there's no obligation to go and live in Israel. Regardless, this subject of how you decide what are the 613 mitzvahs has been debated over the generations and there are actually a couple different books by different scholars getting to what are the 613 and they actually have minor differences but interestingly enough they all agree and as we saw in the Talmud they all agree that there are 613 commandments the question is what are the 613 commandments and it's a fascinating discussion in it of its own now there's another unique thing about Maimonides so till now we said, you know, he was the first. He was the person that had this vision that said, people don't have the time, you know, to, to, to understand what they have to do. It's too difficult to extrapolate from the Talmud. So we have to make it easy for them. I'm gonna make it organized. But after him, there were others who also made organized uh, writings of Jewish law, very well-organized. The Code of Jewish Law, the Torah, other ones. There's still no one unique thing about the way Maimonides wrote it that has not been done since his time 800 years ago. And that is that in his explanation of the laws, he explained all the laws. What I mean is the codifiers that came after him said, why do we need to write the laws of offering sacrifices? We don't do that nowadays. Why do we need to write the laws of certain levels of purity and impurity? We don't do that nowadays. Why do we need to write the laws of the Holy Temple? We don't have the Holy Temple now. And so all the other scholars who came after Maimonides, even those who wrote codes of law and the oral tradition in a very, very organized manner, did not write about those laws. And so the only place where you will find an organized version of Jewish law on every single section of Jewish law, even thing that is not practiced today, you have to go to Maimonides. And that's also something that makes it unique about Maimonides. So for example, the only person who's ever really written a treatise on Mashiach, a, so to speak, from a Jewish law perspective. No, it's not medrash, but actual laws. What does and what doesn't Mashiach have to do? Only Maimonides wrote it because he's the only one that wrote a code of law on things that we don't practice nowadays. Considering this, um, in the year 1985, the Rebbe started a campaign. The started a campaign, and this campaign was that everyone should study Maimonides, the Rambam. And um, he made a cycle, a cycle of being able to study Maimonides um, every uh, couple years. So it depends. So there's three cycles of, of Maimonides that he made, three study cycles. One study cycle is to study three chapters a day. I'll tell you, it's very challenging but you complete Maimonides in approximately one year. Those who can't do it, he made one chapter a day that is doable. Um, and I'll get to at the end of the class where you can join these studies. And a third one he made, which if you really can't do that, there's how HaMitzvahs. You can study uh, Maimonides' book of Mitzvahs. And with that, you will also complete studying about all 613 Mitzvahs every single year. Now, the Rebbe explained, why did he start this campaign? So he said like this, and I'll read to you here, it's text number seven. We've spoken numerous times about the need to unify all Jews. (laughs) Who doesn't need to speak about the need to unify all Jews, right? Um, So the unity is even more important when considering that it brings us closer to the redemption. We know, right, what destroyed the temple was the absence of unity. So unity will bring the redemption. One way to achieve this unity is when all Jews unite through studying one area of Torah. Why there, while there are mystical explanations for how doing so achieves unity, it is also quite practical. When many people study one subject, they can discuss and analyze the matter together. Although they may differ in how they understand the subject, their discussion will nonetheless lead to affection and friendship. You know, just think about it. We all study, for example, the Chumash every single uh, year. And every single week, as Jews all together, we have a common discussion when we talk about the weekly Torah portion. Similarly, the Rebbe said, if we all study Maimonides, we can have a common language that we can talk about. And he says, there's a special advantage in achieving this type of unity by studying Maimonides Mishnah Torah, a work of Jewish law that encompasses the entirety of the oral law in a clear and concise language. Other works of Jewish law, such as the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, do not include all of the mitzvahs such as those that are not applicable when the temple isn't standing. Thus, by studying Mishnah Torah, one will fulfill the of to study all of Jewish law in a complete manner. For these reasons and others, I am suggesting that in addition to the Torah topics that people regularly study according to their individual abilities, it is worthwhile for everyone to resolve without force of a binding oath to study a daily portion of the Mishnah Torah in a way that everyone studies the same topic each day and concludes the cycle on the same day. Um okay. So what he's saying is he's saying two points. Why is it so important that we study Maimonides? one thing is unity. You know, I think we can see an element of unity right now in the world. We see how with Corona, everybody has the same topic. Everybody's discussing the same topic. You Anywhere you go. What do you think about Corona? What do you think about Corona?? What it, we all have the same topic we're discussing. Now imagine if instead of discussing Corona everywhere we went, well, did you uh, what do you think about Mitzvah number 602? Mm, pretty interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, you got something common to talk about, right? And it's a little more exciting and hopefully more meaningful than uh, rehashing the same Corona discussions you had, right? <sighs> Anyways, sorry, I'm, I'm I just have it over my head discussing Corona every uh, every couple minutes. Um, okay. The second thing uh, the Rebbe said about Maimonides is Maimonides is unique because he gives us the ability to that he wrote it in a way that anybody can join it because it is so. Uh, he either writes it for very scot. You know, you can do the three chapters a day, or you can do the one chapters, or you can even do the book of mitzvahs. Now, the way we do the book of mitzvahs is, is you study the corresponding mitzvah with the um, with the daily cycle of the three day three uh, three chapters a day of Maimonides. There's actually someone. A rabbi in, in um, California, um, Lipsker, um, he made a daily video. If you want to watch the daily mitzvah, he made a daily video. It's like one minute a day in which you can study Maimonides. Um, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, you can sign up for that. So if anybody wants, you can ask me afterwards. He's, a, he's in Chabad of Sherman Oaks in California, Rabbi Yossi Lipsker. So he made a uh, daily video. It's a nice, cute little video. Every single day, cute little video uh, explaining the daily mitzvah. That's just one simple way. But there's many, many different ways of doing it. Regardless, um, I mentioned earlier that uh, Maimonides is the only one to discuss Mashiach. And that is in fact, the last two chapters of his book. Now for obvious reasons, it's the last two chapters. Why is it the last two chapters? Um, Because the final thing is what we're all working towards. But also it's in his book where he discusses the laws of Kings and Mashiach will be the final ultimate King taking over for his great 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 grandfather, King David. Another important thing about the study cycle is whenever the cycle would end, they would make a big seum. A big completion. It's based on uh, what it says in the uh, Talmud. I'll share it to you. On my screen again. What it says in the Talmud. Um, Abaye said, "May I receive my reward because when I see a young Torah scholar who completed a tractate, I make a celebratory feast for the sages." And here we read, "Abaye's custom is the source of the universal custom that when a Jew finishes studying a tractate of Talmud, we praise God and publicize." That this person merited to achieve this by making a festive meal. Um, so, when we complete something, we make a festive meal. In fact, for those who are firstborns on this call, you may know that before Passover, the day before Passover is known as the fast of the firstborn. So, how do the firstborns get out of fasting that day? What we do is, is we read each tractate of the Talmud, and so then it becomes a joyous occasion, and then they can eat. Um, and the joy is not only for the person that completes it, but all the people who were there. And so every year at um, when the study cycle is completed, we make a big thing out of it. For those who know, uh, earlier this year, I think in December, well, that's last year, there was a big event for the completion of the study cycle of the Talmud. The Talmud, there's a study cycle to complete it every seven and a half years. It made a big, big event in all the different stadiums all over. Um, You can look it up online, the completion of the study cycle of the Talmud. That's always a very big thing. Uh, They did it in uh, the Met Stadium, I believe. Um, So also, we do also every single year, a completion of the study cycle of Rambam. And as a bonus, when we finish today, I'm going to show you an interesting video of the first time they completed the study cycle of Rambam. They did one in Cairo, and the story of how that came to be about. Because as you may know, Cairo is not exactly, um, you know, our greatest of friends. Ah, one second. So I'll show you that when we get to the end. So I'm just going to, we only got a couple more minutes. I just want to share with you a few more things here about his magnum opus. I'm going to go through quickly the 14 books of Maimonides. Um, so here we have the first book is called The Book of Knowledge. These are laws and principles that are basic to the principles of Judaism. Very beautiful um book by the way you can buy all of maimonides books in english now i'll discuss at the end uh, uh, so you can literally read daily in english i have i can show you one it's very good all right the second book is called the book of love this is the laws that inspire us in love for god such as mezuzah and prayer if you were to read only two books on maimonides i would say read these two they're just two very very beautiful books the third book is called the book of times So it discusses any mitzvahs that are time-bound, like Shabbat and holidays. The fourth book is called uh, The Book of Women. It has the laws of marriage and divorce. The fifth book is called The Book of Holiness, laws about forbidden sexual relationships and kosher food. Uh, The sixth book is called The Book of Promises. So it has all the laws of oaths and vows. Judaism making an oath and a vow is a very serious thing. The seventh book is The Book of Seeds, there's a lot of laws and duties in pertaining to agriculture. If you plant, you know, the third year is this, the fourth year is that, very complicated. The eighth book is the book of service. It discusses the laws of building the temple and the public sacrifices. The book of nine discusses the book of sacrifices, the sacrifice of the individual. The book of 10, the book of ritual purity, laws of ritual purity and impurity. I just want to point out, book number eight, nine, and 10 are all not applicable today. All not applicable, but he wrote all of this. Even, even half of number seven is not applicable today without the um, without the temple. Book number 10, the Book of Injuries, laws pertaining to torts. And book number 12, the Book of Acquisition, laws and sales and purchases. Judies and we have a whole set of laws. Book number 13, the Book of Judgments, laws of civil matters other than torts. And then book number 14, laws regarding the courts and the monarchy. So these are the 14 books of Maimonides. So hopefully... You can appreciate here is the end of the book of Maimonides. Oh yes, I wanted to make a plug. Uh, we are going to get into these texts of Maimonides all about Mashiach, because we're soon going to start the course on Mashiach. Um, it is starting very very soon. I'm not sure if it's going to be next week, possibly two weeks, but we will be starting the course on Mashiach, and a lot of it's going to be based on the last two chapters of Maimonides' whole book, um, where he discusses all about Mashiach. Um, and here in this class, there was a lot we could discuss about Mashiach, but we're not going to because we're going to get to it. I'm just going to read to you the beginning of Maimonides' books. It starts off like this. The foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a primary being who brings all of existence into being. All of the beings of heaven and earth and what is between them came into existence only from the truth of his being. So he's starting off setting the record straight. This is the foundation and pillar of all wisdom. want to point out a few interesting things. Um, Maimonides has a little bit of Kabbalistic in his book. First of all, if you look, these are the first four words of Maimonides' book, and it has the first letter of each word, makes God's name. Another interesting thing, he says, is to know that there's a primary being. He doesn't say believe. He also says, who brings all of existence into being, present tense. That is because we believe that God not only created the world, but is continuously creating the world. He also said the word no. That means not only do we have to believe, but we have to seek to comprehend. We not only believe God, believe that there is a God, we have to understand God as much as we can. Now, we will never fully, of course, but as much as we can, we should know God. Why I'm pointing this out to you is I want to point to you how Maimonides similar to Rashi. You can read it at a very simple level, and then you can also read it at a very deep level. It's made both for the simple and the scholar. And even for the scholar, when you want to read it simply, it has depth in it, but you can also read it at the most simple foundational level. I'm going to skip these other slides over here. I want to get to um, what are practical ways, if you decided, to study Maimonides. There are a couple things you can do. If you wanted to study the Sefer HaMitzvos, the book of mitzvahs, there's an app on Chabad.org called Chabad.org Daily Mitzvah. There's also, um, uh, you can get an email from Chabadur, the Daily Mitzvah. Uh, there's also online, you can read the Daily Mitzvah. There's also a book called Sefer Mitzvahs, the Book of Mitzvahs. And then there's also the video I told you earlier by Rabbi Lipsker in Sherman Oaks called The Daily Mitzvah. It's a great video. It's one minute a day. It's very interesting. So. Even just knowing what are all the 613 mitzvahs. You know, that's that alone is a powerful thing, to know all 613 mitzvahs. That's a powerful thing. Um, if anybody needs any of the links, just let me know. I can send you later. For one chapter a day, there's a couple things you can do. You can study it online, Chabad.org. Then there's a beautiful thing called Chayenu. Chayenu is like a weekly booklet. And it gives you studies for each week. It has Hebrew and English. And they have it both in print version And an app version Called Chayenu And uh, so you should look for the Chayenu app There's also um, a book Of Maimonides uh, Called Maznayim Let me see if I can find it Maznaim, um Maznayim Rambam Yeah So there's a book uh, This is all in English We have a copy of it in the synagogue But uh, it's, So it's all in English. You know, it's currently on sale at $469. It's a lot, a lot of books, as you can see. And you, of course, you can buy one at a time. Um, very, very well. Great translation. Great thing to have in your house if you want, if you're willing to go with that. And um, so that's another way you can study the daily Maimonides. Um, and then, of course, there's the study cycle, three chapters a day, uh, which I don't expect anybody on this call to do. Um, And I think that's it with that. However, what I did want to show you, I wanted to show you a video, as I said I would at the end, I want to show you a video of how the first conclusion of Rambam Maimonides happened in Cairo. Very, very fascinating story. Uh, this story is told by Rabbi Yisrael, not, not Rabbi, he wasn't a rabbi. Say Rabbi, you're not going to listen. But he wasn't a rabbi. He was a journalist, a journalist in Israel for many, many years. Very, very famous journalist in Israel, Yisrael Katsaver. And um, so he, part of his uh, duties, used to go to Egypt. So we'll read about this interesting story. Um, so, but before I get to that story, I, I just wanted to say in conclusion, Hopefully you've understood a little bit more about who Maimonides was history-wise. If you want to look a little bit more about history, there's a video on Amazon Prime called Rambam. It's, it's the voice on the cartoon. is by Leonard Nimoy. It gives a, a little bit more history. Uh, Maimonides wrote a bunch of books. What's most famous for him is that he took Jewish law and finally made it available for each and every single person. And uh, the Rebbe established in 1985 the ability for each and every single person to go through a cycle and study all of that. And there are so many ways for you to do it. And if you do want to do that or even just start it, see how it goes, um, reach out to me and uh, I will help you get set up with that. Um, and if there's enough people, maybe I'll give my own class. All right, on the daily Rambam, I, I, I do record myself sometimes uh, teaching the daily one chapter a day. Anyway, so now we're going to move on to this interesting, um, just one second, we're going to move on to this interesting uh, video over here. Um, this After this, I'll stick on for a couple more minutes for questions. It's a little bit of a long video. If you want to go, that's fine, but it's a very, very interesting video. It uh, gives a little bit of history of the Rebbe and, and, and Mubarak and Egypt and Cairo. Very, very interesting story. So let's take a look.
2: Israel Katsavar is a senior journalist who covered the Israel Defense Forces for several decades for numerous Israeli newspapers and media channels. Through the years he consulted and received much advice and guidance from the Rebbe. This interview was filmed as part of the Faithful and Fortified series. Please help us record more testimonies like this one and get involved in the My Encounter with the Rebbe project at
3: 1000encounters.com. הפכתי במידה מסוימת לשליח, להעברת מסרים, לקציני צבא בחירים, לאישי ממשל בחירים בישראל, אבל גם למדתי רבות, והודרכתי בדרך, כיצד לבטא דברים, בתחומים שבהם עסקתי, תחום הביטחוני בעיקר, תחום אחר במדינת ישראל. כאשר... ראיתי ברבי אדם שלא רקו מישיחמור עמה לא לא רק שהוא אדם שבקי בכל המחמנים ואני בחלל בחלל מלי קנס ולומר את הדברים האלה אבל בתחום הספציפי שלי איתא לרבי ריא רחבת טבך גם ברוח והיריא. גם לעומק העניינים, וגם הרבה פעמים, כל הפעמים, קדימה ולטווח ארוך. לא פעם, כשפגשתי קצינים בכירים, הם אמרו לי, האיש מדהים אותנו. אנחנו לא אנשים דתיים, אבל אנחנו באים אליו, ויש לנו את התחושה שיושב מולנו, איש צבא שעבר כל שנותיו ביחידות, שמכיר את מחשבת המלחמה, שמכיר כלי נשק, שמכיר מהלכים צבאיים, שמבין במודיעין, ורוחב העירייה שלו היה עצום בניתוח של הדברים, וזה גם מה שהביא אליו לא מאת קצינים בכירים. הכרתי 11 פעם, במצרים, הרבה מהפעמים האלה היו פגישות גם עם חוסנים וברק. וחוסנים וברק בדרך כלי היום כבר פחות, כי הוא לא כל כך בריא ולא כל כך עושה זה, אבל בשנים הראשונות, כשהיינו מגיעים עם ראש הממשלה, עם שר הביטחון, עם אחרים, הוא היה לוקח את העיתונאים לאיזה חדר צדדי, יושב איתם, הוא מפתח שיחה מאוד מעניינת, אישית, חופשית. אני זוכר את אחת מהפגישות האלה, היינו חמישה, שישה עיתונאים, והוא העיץ את השיחה. מאיזושהי סיבה הוא העיץ את השיחה. ולקראת סוף השיחה, הוא קורא לי ואומר, אני רוצה שתיכנס אליי לחדר. ואני נכנס לחדר, הוא אומר לי, אני יודע מה אתה כותב, אני יודע מה דעתך, אני שומע אותך בפגישות, יש לי שאלה מיוחדת אליך. אתה יכול להסביר לי מה רוצה הרבי מילובביץ' ממני? able אמרתי לו, למה and you can הוא אומר, הוא מדבר נגד of איתנו, הוא רואה בנו a שלא bit גם לעתיד. למה, למה הוא עושה זה? מה יש לו נגדי? הסברתי לו את הגישה של הרבי. אמרתי לו, הרבי ישמח מאוד, אני משוכנע בכך שאם כבוד הנשיא יגיע לארצות הברית, אין לי שום ספק שהרבי ישמח גם להיפגש איתו, ולומר לו את הדברים האלה. אני יכול להסביר רק, וישבנו חצי שעה, והיא הייתה שיחה מאוד מעניינת, מאוד מעניינת עם הנשיא מוברק, סביב הנושא של רבי מי הרבי? מה הגישתו? קצת היסטוריה על חבד? מה העמדה? הייתה לו גם את השאלה שכל ישראלים רבים שאלו, אז למה הוא יושב בניו יורק? הבארתי לו גם את זה. סיפרתי לו על פעילות חבד בעולם כולו. זה נכנס אליו לדאתי לראש וזה אני ראיתי את זה במקום אחד ארבע שנים אחרי זה ארבע שנים אחרי זה קרה כשא אמר לעשות את הסיומים אתה תקופה כשתחילו לעשות את הסיומים של לימוד של הלימוד של הרמבם אז אמר גנים של זה בארץ, החליטו שהם הולכים לעשות סיום של הרמב״ם בבית כנסת הרמב״ם בקהיר, בית הכנסת שבימים אלה מושלמת עבודת השחזור והשיקום שלו בצורה יפה מאוד, ו חבאד החליטו לעשות שם את הסיום של הרמב״ם בבית חבאד, אבל היה חשש בשל השם שיש לחבאד, והדברים שהרבא אמר על מצרים שלא ייתנו להם. שאלו אותי, אתה יכול לדבר עם מישהו? אמרתי, תנו לי, אני אחזור אליכם. דיברתי אז עם השגריר המצרי בישראל, אמרתי לו, חסידי חבד רוצים לעשות. אז הוא אמר, מה הם ידברו שם? הפחד יא מה ידברו? אמרתי לו, הם רוצים לעשות סיום של הרמב״ם. זה לימוד, הרמב״ם היה חי במצרים. הוא אומר, על הרמב״ם אתה לא צריך, לספר לי, אני יודע רבות על הרמב״ם. אני גר בקהיר. אני מקיר את, את הרחוב שבו נמצא בית ליד השוק חמו פורסם במצרים חאן אל חלילי מה הם רוצים לעשות אני אעביר את הבקשה אמרתי לו אני לא יודע עם מי אתה הולך לדבר יש לי בקשה אם זה יכול לעלות עד לדרגה באחיר ביותר שלכם לנסי تعال את זה לי אנ ספק שהנשיא שלכם יאשר את זאת. הוא הבטיח. אני לא יודע עד היום אם הוא דיבר עם או לא דיבר עם הנשיא. אחרי יומיים וחזר ואמר, דיברתי מחלונות הבחירים ביותר, אין שום בעיה לחסידי חבד לָבו ולעשות את הסיום. והסיום מתקיים, וטיפלו יפה בחסידי חבד, וזה רק מראה. שדברים נטעו שם, שגם במצרים וגם במקומות אחרים, גם במקומות אחרים, המעמד שלה הרבא היה מעמד איתן. התחשבו בדעתו. הרוחב הגיע למצרים, הגיע לארצות ערביות אחרות, הגיע למקומות אחרים, הגיע למקומות אחרים.
1: Alright, so it's a pretty fascinating story um, of how they were able to get, um, you know, even, even in Egypt, they were able to do a, a, a completion of the study cycle of Rambam. So, I said everything I needed to say before, I kind of concluded it before. Uh, questions about the Rebbe's opinion on the, the land of Israel is beyond the scope over here, but um, it is a fascinating discussion in and of itself. Uh, But it was good to see everybody here today. Thank you for coming. Tomorrow evening, Mushki's going to give her class on sourdough. Uh, It's on Zoom only, not on Facebook. So come join us on on Zoom for that, Mushki's thing on sourdough. And uh, finally, uh, hopefully you were inspired a little bit about Maimonides. Hopefully you understand a little bit more about him. And hopefully even better yet, hopefully you'll study a little bit about the works that he's done and uh, some of his books.
3: Can
1: I ask a question, Rabbi? uh, Yes, you were inspired a little. Go for it.
2: I was
3: just wondering uh, did he work completely on his own, or did he have scholars or anyone who would um, help him think? You know, I mean, or was it a completely isolated uh, masterwork?
1: So he had teachers. But uh, ultimately, the scholarship was his own. Um, In fact, like most great people, during his lifetime, he wasn't necessarily respected all over. In fact, unfortunately, uh, many people burned his books in France. They burned his books. They felt it was too presumptuous. They felt it was too presumptuous. Uh,
3: Yeah, because he was.
1: uh, Yeah, they felt it was too presumptuous.
3: Final final,
0: uh, decision. Thank you.
1: No problem. Any other questions? I see some people wrote here on Facebook, uh, it's like being back in Hebrew school. They were here in Hebrew school many, many years ago. That's funny. Um, Okay. So um, if that's all, I will uh, skedaddle. I'll just tell you one joke about counting the 613 commandments. (laughs) They say there's three types of people, those who know how to count and those who don't know how to count. Anyways. All right. <laughs> Let's turn off Facebook over here. Great to see you all on Facebook. Good Christelle, night. Joel, Good night, everybody. Alana. Thank, thank you, Robby. Uh, Jen. Sophie.